I have the New Te- or Old Testament reading for today. Isaiah 49, verse 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due to me is the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in my womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says... It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament passage is from John 8, verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this... Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. And may you soften our hearts, open our ears 
to what it is that you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Well, good morning, Sherman Street. My name is Catherine, and it's a joy to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm here today with my husband, Jeremy, and um, our son, Teddy, is down in the, no- uh, in the nursery, hopefully having the time of his life. Um, <laughs> uh, we've been in Grand Rapids uh, for almost two years now. We moved here um, at the beginning of 2021 from the Bay Area in California, um, where I was a commissioned pastor in the CRC for several years. Um, we're now here um, connecting, reconnecting with family and sort of living a, um, a slightly slower pace of life, which we're enjoying. Um, as Pastor Tony says, we are um, currently in the season of Epiphany, a season um, that traditionally affords the church the opportunity to study together and explore the life and work of Jesus with the hope that we can taste and see something of um, who Jesus is and what this kingdom that he is establishing um, here on earth is like. Um, Your pastors have shared, and they said this morning, that you're in this um, sermon series doing just that. And um, in that vein, I would like us to use John 8, um, verses 2 through 11, to engage with the gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus. Now, over the past several years, and especially since becoming a mother about a year and a half ago, um, gentleness is something that I have become much more interested in um, both experiencing myself, but also sort of growing in and practicing um, as I parent. Um, and I've been finding myself more um, drawn to um, those tender-hearted, uh, gentle natured stories of who Jesus is as I've read the Gospels. But historically, that's not been my natural tendency. I'm much more likely to seek after um, the stories that show the fierce or the outspoken or the justice-seeking or the truth-telling, righteously angry parts of who Jesus is, his nature. And um, as we look around at the state of the world, There's a long list of events and things happening and fights being fought and um, systems that are broken that we may think, well, yeah, we we don't need Jesus' gentleness. We need Jesus' power and his might. Um, And there was plenty going on um, in Jesus' particular moment in history, plenty of um, people that needed advocating for and fights that needed fighting and systems that needed to be shaken up that um, we could have think needed, needed a more aggressive response rather than a gentle um, response. Because gentleness could be understood as not advocating or standing up for someone um, or something worth fighting for. Um, and it's, so it's not necessarily the characteristic that we would argue um, was needed, particularly then, or is needed now. And yet gentleness is what we see Jesus display in this passage this morning. And I think that, I hope that you would agree, but I certainly think that that was anything but weak. Jesus is anything but soft in this passage. He's anything but a pushover, right? Because despite what we might think, to be gentle does not mean to be a pushover, Gentleness is anything but weakness. When you, when you spend time digging into what gentleness actually means, you find that to be gentle is to display strength with reserve. 
To be gentle is to show power without undue harshness. To be gentle isn't to have no power, it's to know how to use it, to know how to harness it for care and growth and transformation. And um, this description kind of makes me think, it reminds me of the image of a lion. I don't know if you've watched as many David Attenborough documentaries as I have. <laughs> um, but if you um, have seen footage of a lioness whose jaws have the power, and often you, you see this footage of, of the jaws of a lioness ripping um, their prey apart. And yet at the same time, this lioness uses that same jaw to pick up her young cubs and carry them where they need to go. The same jaws that can tear uh, flesh from bone are used to care for her vulnerable cubs. An image of power without undue harshness. A picture, I think, of gentleness. And like a lioness with her cubs, Jesus deals with the people in this passage this morning with the same gentleness, showing power without undue harshness, somehow managing to show both a concern for the truth of what's going on and a concern for maintaining and upholding the dignity of all involved. And that's the lens that I want to look at this story with this morning, understanding Jesus's gentleness as his concern for the truth, for honesty, and his, true, his concern for dignity. Jesus' gentleness as his concern for truth and his concern for dignity. So imagine this with me. Come back into the story with me. Early one morning, you've made your way to the temple before work for whatever reason. You find yourself in the public temple space in the courtyard. And across the courtyard, you spot this Jesus. You've been, following, uh, you've been following him and his teachings since he began to start speaking publicly. You're intrigued by what he's been saying, and you find yourself pulled towards him whenever he's near. And so now you move towards him uh, in this moment. You want to hear something of what he's saying. And all of a sudden, there's a disturbance. And into the public courtyard come some of the teachers from the temple and the Pharisees, and they are marching across the space with determination towards Jesus, dragging behind them a woman. She looks terrified. You notice her hair is out of place, her clothes are skewed on her body, kind of like she just got pulled out of bed or something. The teachers and the Pharisees are wearing a strange expression on their faces, kind of weird, satisfied smirks. As they get to Jesus, the crowd opens up around him, and the teachers and the Pharisees throw the woman into the middle of the crowd, right in front of him. She struggles to find her footing, but she stands up, her shawl, pulling her shawl up around her shoulders, brushing her hair behind her ears. Her face is maybe tear-stained, and she's trembling. One of the men with a similar smirking tone to his voice, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? 
Now, you know the law that the Pharisees are referring to. But as you watch what's going on and you think about what you've been hearing Jesus teaching, you can't help but think that the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus here. It seems like he finds himself in a bit of a tricky situation. How is he going to deal with this woman? What is he going to say to her standing so vulnerably in front of everyone? I think when we hear this story, it, at this point, it can be easy to fall into binary thinking. Jesus can either respond this way or that way. He can either pursue complete justice in line with the law that the Pharisees are referring to, or he can abandon the law, go all in on grace, and just kind of let it go, right? And it's understandable because we might think, we might think this is understandable because often when we are in a tricky situation like this, um, when we're feeling hurt or frustrated or scared, we might fall into that sort of binary thinking. <clears throat> when your toddler ooh, is about to do that thing that you've asked them not to do and they're doing it while smiling, you know, or your teenager's doing the same thing, or um, someone at work has gone behind your back and stolen your promotion, or your spouse has said words that have cut you in a way that only they can, or you've shared something vulnerable and true about yourself with a friend, and they've not responded in the way that you were imagining them to, or you're having a challenging conversation that's causing you to think differently and you're getting defensive. In response to these things, these legitimately frustrating or hurtful or difficult situations, we can sometimes we can, either, we can go either or in our reactions. We can let our spouse absolutely have it, or we can be like, no, 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 it's fine, Nothing, nothing's wrong, you didn't do anything. We can go all out on the power and lay the blame at everyone else's feet, or we can hold it all in brush it off, and pretend it, it didn't hurt. There was nothing wrong. And I can tell you I've, I've done both of these things. My husband will attest to you that I will either, this is all your fault, or like, no, nothing's, nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong at all. And although in the moment these options might feel like the easiest or the more satisfying or the justified choice, neither of them are gentle responses. Going all out on the power might feel like you're giving someone what they deserve or need to hear, but in the end, they leave you feeling isolated or stuck or bitter. Holding everything in and not telling the truth about how someone has treated you might feel like compassion, but in the end, it also leaves you feeling alone and resentful and unheard. <clears throat> There's no gentleness in either of these spaces, one is full of pride and anger, the other is full of resentment. To, show gen to be gentle, to show gentleness, is to show power with without undue harshness. Honesty in the presence of dignity, to tell the truth without relying on shame to get your point across. And that is exactly what we see Jesus doing as the story continues. After the Pharisees present their question to Jesus, he bends over and starts doing something in the sand. You aren't really sure what it is. But you feel for this woman who is standing there unsure about how Jesus is going to deal with her. 
After a few moments, he stands back up, looks directly at the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and says with a calm, strong voice, let anyone who, who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. And he bends back down and continues doing what he was doing. Wow. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw that stone. That was not what you were expecting, and anyone, anyone else either. The smirks are immediately wiped off the faces of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You look around, it seems like no one in the crowd was expecting that response. And without a word to anyone, and perhaps the most shocking of all, the teachers and the Pharisees begin to walk away, the older ones first, followed by the younger ones, and slowly the rest of the crowd begins to disperse. And you walk away slowly too. There's nothing left to see here. No stoning will take place in this courtyard this morning. What did Jesus just do? Why did Jesus' response cause those teachers and those Pharisees to walk away? Jesus' statement communicated to the teachers and the Pharisees something like this. If you are going to use the law of Moses to dictate how this woman should be treated in the face of her wrongdoing, you must make sure that you yourself are beyond reproach. Are you certain that I wouldn't find any secrets in your closet? Are you sure that I, if I was to look deep into your soul, I would see no reason for you to be condemned? I know you. You are in need of grace and forgiveness as much as this woman is. That must have stung. But this was gentleness. Jesus shows power without harshness. He strikes a beautiful balance between telling the truth and bestowing dignity. And it's the power of these two things together that make Jesus' gentleness so distinct. And the Pharisees, they show up here in this situation pursuing um, honesty and shame. And some of us might show up to a situation like this far more comfortable trying to pursue um, denial and dignity. But gentleness, according to Jesus, is holding honesty and dignity together, an expression of power without undue harshness. Can you see it? Jesus isn't denying that the woman has done anything wrong. He's he's not coming in and saying, go away, she didn't do anything. How can you prove it? Leave her alone. He's not saying that. He's not denying what happened. He's looking honestly at her actions But he's also encouraging the Pharisees to be honest with themselves, too, as a way of inviting them to experience his gentleness. Jesus doesn't want the teachers and the Pharisees to engage in any sort of self-righteous thought process. He's not going to let them get away with thinking that they're good and she's bad. He's making sure that everyone understands that when held up to the law, everyone in that crowd would fall short of the standard. But he does it while maintaining and preserving the dignity of the people he's challenging. He could have totally shamed the teachers, the Pharisees, publicly, like they had been planning to do with this woman. But he holds back, 
and instead he presents them with a reason to do some healthy self-reflection. And whether they recognize it or not, he offers them the opportunity for growth and to find transformation. These Pharisees, they, they should feel ashamed of their treatment of this woman, but Jesus chooses to treat them with dignity rather than shaming them, so preserving the possibility of them experiencing transformation. Whether they will take that opportunity, that's a different matter. But the opportunity is there. Jesus treats them as though they are worthy of an opportunity to grow. But it's not where the story ends. Everyone is leaving, and you're walking away too. You can't throw a stone. You know that. And left alone there is the woman, the woman that was brought out into the public to be shamed and humiliated, has been left standing alone in front of Jesus. Instead of her public humiliation, it appears that her accusers have had a taste of their own medicine, and, f and um, from afar it seems like she can't believe it's happened. And then we know that Jesus says to her, asks her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she, I imagine, in disbelief, says, No one, sir. And he replies, Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Gentleness, again. Can you see it? Honesty and dignity. Jesus isn't ignoring or denying what this woman has done. He's not excusing her behavior. She's standing in the presence of Jesus, and they both know what happened. In fact, he calls it what it is. He calls it sin. We both know you've been living a life of sin. You've turned away from God. You've chosen your own way, your own priorities, your own needs, your own pleasure. He's being honest. But he does it all while maintaining and in fact calling her into a greater sense of dignity. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You will find no shame here. Now go and live a life that is reflective of your belovedness. He asks her to look the truth of her brokenness in the face, and in being willing to do so, she finds acceptance, love, and forgiveness, and an invitation to live a life of wholeness and growth. When we receive Jesus' gentleness, we are never left unchanged. When we experience his power without undue harshness, when he invites us to be honest and treats us with dignity at the same time, when we experience him telling us the truth without using shame to get the point across, we find ourselves restored to him and sent out to live a new kind of life. But how is it possible that he can do that? The woman's sin, our sin, it deserves condemnation. We know that death is the justifiable and reasonable response to sin. So how is it that we even have access to Jesus' gentleness? We get Jesus' gentleness because he got our condemnation when he was crucified on the cross. Jesus took on the condemnation and the death that we deserve, and in doing so, he took all the fear out of being honest. And he bought our dignity and made it permanent. He took the power out of shame, making it so that nothing can take away our belovedness. Because Jesus bore our punishment on our behalf, we can stand in his presence like that woman did, 
and be fully honest about our brokenness, our mistakes, our choices to turn away. And we can be fully confident at the same time that we will never lose his love. That he will hold us with dignity and invite us into transformation and growth. And then having received that gentleness from Jesus, we are able to go out and seek to show others the same gentleness. In a world that is crying out to receive this kind of gentleness. So when you're faced with your toddler or your teenager who's pushing your buttons, or you've been hurt by your spouse, or you've been betrayed by a friend, we're able to ask the Holy Spirit to help us tell the truth without using shame to get our point across. And this is, of course, much easier said than done because we are not Jesus. But if we hold in our minds that we are in as much need of Jesus' gentleness as our children are, as our spouses, as our friends are, how, how does that shape the way that we have honest conversations with them, the tone that we use, the words that we choose? If we go into a discussion seeking to uphold someone's dignity rather than tear them down, how does that influence the way that we listen and respond where we hear something that causes us to feel defensive? The gentleness of Jesus is distinct and something that the world is very much in need of, even if it doesn't seem to value it very highly. And as Christians being shaped and formed into Jesus' likeness, what kingdom ambassadors can we be and would we be if we sought to be made gentle like Jesus wherever we are? As we prepare to come to the communion table, I'm curious about a few things. The first is this. I wonder if you need to experience the gentleness of Jesus this morning. I'm just wondering if there's anyone here who has been afraid to approach the throne of God with boldness and tell the truth because you have come to believe that you're not worthy of Jesus' gentleness. Do you believe for whatever reason that you're more likely to meet a Pharisee than a Savior if you speak to Jesus honestly about your life? As you take the bread and wine this morning, can you imagine yourself in the place of the woman? And can you hear Jesus say to you the same words that he said to her? Secondly, I wonder if we can examine ourselves and see if there are ways that we are showing up as Pharisees, in, as the, in the, like they did in the scripture this morning, hungry for stoning. When we're part of conversations about sin or behavior choices or brokenness or moralism, are our words and actions leading people, are they telling of the gentleness of Jesus? Or are we planting seeds of shame and silence in people's hearts? And then third, very practically, I'm wondering if you can Think of situations in your life where gentleness like Jesus would be a disarming surprise or a soothing balm, and whether you can ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to be gentle like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, even when we don't deserve it, 
you love us with such kind-heartedness, such tender-heartedness, such gentleness. You honor and uphold our dignity by telling us the truth without using shame to get your point across. Thank you for loving us so well that your love and work on the cross has taken all the fear out of coming to, coming to you just as we are. If there are ways that we need to show up before you and fear is getting in the way, will you, um, will you show us the love that, um, that leaves no space for fear and encourage us to come to you? If we need to do some healthy self-reflection as we consider how we're showing up in conversations as it relates to um, sin and, and the brokenness of the world, would you um, gently show us where uh, we need to um, seek growth and transformation? And as we leave this place, would you be bringing to our minds, Holy Spirit, um, places and spaces where we may um, be, be called by you to... Um, Show, um, show your gentleness. Um, we pray all these things in your holy name. Amen.